Hello. How are we? Good. Great. Uh, my name is Ordi, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, if you have not seen me in a while, I have not been here in a while. And uh, I got to take about six, seven weeks off from preaching pretty regularly, uh, which led to last week me greeting people at the door uh, of Sprecher campus with comments like, where have you been? <laughs> And it's good to see you, what was it? Um, it's good to see you working, not just talking, right? <laughs> and uh, my favorite one, which I heard from three or four people was, who called in sick, right? <laughs> who, why, why are you here? <laughs> it's like, I just wanna say hello and be nice. Um, but with that, it is good to be with you and also wanna say a special hello to those watching in the chapel on Sunday morning and a very special hello. If you don't know, we have a campus that meets up north about 20 minutes from here in DeForest. And Pastor Bob Goodsell and his wife Libby have been there for five years. And this Sunday will be kind of their final wrap-up Sunday. And Pastor Ross is taking over for kind of a, just another season of what God wants to do there. And so I just want to say just from here, from all of us at Sprecher, from staff, uh, from those of us here, that Bob, uh, well done. Uh, well done. Uh, for what you did, for what we, we saw God do and through you and and Libby, um, just amazing things, so many things, and uh, that could be the whole sermon, but that's not the sermon text, so we won't um, talk more about that. But I can tell you a funny story about Bob. When I first interviewed at Door Creek uh, several years ago, and there are all the pastors in a room, which can be intimidating when you're trying to get a job, and Bob, at, at one point, he says, so you got a question for you. I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Theology, just my personal life, I'm ready. Here we go. And he was like, <laughs> he goes, do you drink? <laughs> Now, coming out of a Baptist background, coming out of seminary, I look around the room, I'm like, is this a trick question? <laughs> is, is there a way to answer this question? And it ended up being, Bob was just very nice. So you go down the union, you can get a brat, you can have a beer, you can have water. It's just a great idea. And so, Bob, I always remember the awkwardness of those five seconds. <laughs> and how I thought this is over before it began. And so to you and Libby, we love you. And to Ross and Emily, we look forward to all that God is going to do through you guys. So if you see Bob or Ross, just pat him on the head from RD. Okay. All right. If you have a Bible, um, you can grab it, but we're going to be all over the book of Proverbs. So you're going to have to be really fast. But good news, we have all the scripture on, um, on the screen for you because there's just so, there's so much here. And so the topic uh, this week is words. So that was not a convicting week of sermon prep at all, was to think about words and how, we, and how we use them. So we're in a series in the book of Proverbs, and we're trying to find out God's wisdom for how to live our lives in between the gray matters, where God doesn't speak to every single issue, and we have to use the wisdom of God to decide what to do. And so last week, Brad walked us through money, which was a great talk. You can always see all of our messages online. And this week is words. How many of you have been either really encouraged or really wounded by someone's words? Everyone, right? Some of your hands are like really high, like yes, this morning, yep, there we go. You're with your mom, okay. <laughs> um, words have just such immense power to bring us to joy or to devastate us. And scripture has a lot to say about words. In fact, the book of Proverbs has more to say about words than it has to say about anything else. Why? Because words reveal your character. Spend five minutes with someone talking with them and you can pretty much kind of sort out who they are by the words they use, by how they use the words, by their tone, 
by how they speak about people, right? You could have two people who see the exact same event and they could use totally different words to describe the event, right? Words can divide us. And I have a few um, quotes here. It starts with Steve Martin's quote, which is pretty funny. Um, The uh, comedian and actor, he says, some people have a way with words and other people, oh, uh, not have way. (laughs) (laughs) Roger Kipling says, words are, of course, the most powerful drug used by mankind. Proverbs 18.21 is, if there's a central verse for the teaching, it's this. Proverbs 18.21 says this, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death, right? It has the power to encourage, to build up, or to just devastate and destroy. The tongue has that power. You have that power. And many of you have used it to bring life and to bring death. And many of you have heard it spoken to you in life or in death. So the life, the good part, the tongue has the power to bring, to bring life, uh, encouragement, grace, right? Kindness, building people up, bringing confidence and security, right? We, we want to hear words of life. We need to hear words of life. We need to be built up by other people, not in a false way, but in a way that's actually true to be encouraged because we're all in desperate need of someone else affirming us, of something else telling us that we are okay, Right? And words can actually set a trajectory for your life. If you grow up in a house that has positive words, encouraging words, not that sometimes there won't be words that wound in any home. I was talking with um, my wife, uh, Emily, and uh, we had a, a girl in our small group who just commented to, to Emily one time how she was so confident. Right? Doesn't matter what it is, my wife, she thinks she can do it. And she usually can do it. Just, it's automatic. Like, whatever it is, I can do it. Even if I'm like, that is, it can't actually happen. But you go and do it, right? You, fantastic, right? And she commented to her friend, and she said, you know why I think I can do anything is because of the words of my dad. And he just believed that I could do anything. Right? We're talking 15, 20 years ago. It set her on a trajectory. Not that uh, dads can't sometimes have words that are very hurtful. But when you compare it, words that, are, that bring life can just make your life filled with more confidence and more security and, and, and more happiness than if you constantly hear rejection or you hear the words of death. I think recently I was talking with my dad and my parents who were just great encouragers um, to me. And I was last a uh, couple months ago when I was in Tennessee preaching at a church and uh, we left the church and my dad was in the car and I was in the car and my brother Ryan was in the car. My brother Ryan's two years younger than me. He just recently, finally, after doing internship after internship, got a job in, in Washington, D.C. and doing really well. And it was one of those rare moments when the three of us were together, which hardly ever happens anymore, you know, when people grow up and it's just everybody's there. And we're driving home, and uh, my dad, just at one point, he says, you know, RD, for my whole life, I've been Robert McClanagan. <laughs> you know, built a business, did all these things, and that was my identity, and that, that was it. And now I have a different identity, right? I get to introduce myself as your dad, right, or as Ryan's dad. And that makes me so very proud. Now, there's some words that'll change your life. And for lack of hearing those words... You can try and find that affirmation in a thousand places, right? 
But those are just examples of words that just give life. Or even just saying to a kid, you can do it. I believe in you. You are worth it. You are beautiful. You are special. Never overestimate the power of a kind word. Because so many people never ever hear them. The tongue has the power for life. And to change your life. The tongue also has the power of death. And sadly, that's often more of our experience and more of our memory, right? If you are maybe in a job uh, performance review or you're talking with someone and they give you, hey, I got five positive things to say, one kind of negative thing to say, what do you leave thinking about? (laughs) The third positive? (laughs) No, the negative. No matter how it's couched, no matter what you say, hey, here's one thing I think you can work, we just begin to shut down. He thinks I'm a failure. She thinks I'm worthless, right? If they really love me, they would only affirm me, which is just ridiculous. And yet we just get nervous because words have this immense power. There's a great um, verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 12, 18. It says this, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. See, the, the, the tongue of death is so powerful because I don't know if anyone's been stabbed by a sword or stabbed by anything, but how, it just, it's a quick second. You get stabbed, boom. But how long are you hurt? How long does the wound stay? It stays for a long time, right? It can be a quick moment, a quick word, something you say very quickly like a sword that jabs into you, but the wound remains for a long time. And despite what is said, time does not heal all wounds. It can actually just make them harder and more difficult to bear. You may have heard this phrase. It's not from the Bible. Let me say again, this is not from the Bible. Sticks and stones. Okay, some of you have heard it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It is a lie. Right? It's, a li- it's just a lie. I don't even know people who have their bones broken by sticks. Right? Does it even... It's just... <laughs> you actually stop and think about it? But we just say these things like that to make ourselves like, it doesn't matter what people say to you, just be stronger. No. More appropriate is sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can wound me forever. They can wound me forever. Right? See, words have the power to name things, to name people. You're stupid. You're fat. You're ugly. You're not worthy, right? One word can label you. And especially when you're very young and growing up, it can label you your whole life. It can label you your whole life. I remember when I started a new school in seventh grade, which no one looks back on seventh grade as a great time in their life. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. Middle school is not this. No one says the best time of my life was middle school. <laughs> no, it's the worst. <laughs> it's just, it's so hard, right? It's so hard. Talk about words. And I remember I transitioned to a new school and, you know, I thought I was kind of cool, but I look back at pictures from seventh grade and I think, oh, dear. Oh, mom, really? No one wears socks to their knees. Um, and I'm still working through that. And uh, I remember I walked into a new, to a new school. And so at our school, um, there'd be in the gym, you'd meet. So people got there early. You weren't just roaming the, roaming the, uh, the school. And so we'd all meet in the gym. And so you'd walk in, I remember the, probably the second or third day walking in and looking at like 300 students and just wanting to find a place to sit. And I'd been there long enough and I, I used to have just really buck teeth and very self-conscious about it as you are anything physical. 
And I remember um, walking in and someone just looked at me and said, hey, the buck teeth section is over there. Right, I mean, that was, how old am I? I mean, almost 20 years ago. And I got braces and I no longer have, but I still think about it and how it made me feel and how crushed it made me feel and how it really defined that day, that week, and so much in middle school. I could give you many examples of that. Or as I was counseling with a woman uh, a year or so ago and just working through a lot of just hard things. And we got, at one point, we just got down to it. And, and at one point, I just remember, I can't remember how it happened. I just will not forget this. She said, you know what? Um, one time when I was younger in high school or college, I went to the beach. And I was just so excited to go to the beach and grow up near the beach, went to the beach, you know, bought a new swimsuit and went there, so excited to wear it and do this whole thing. And somebody, some, you know, man or whoever came up to me and just said, you should put your shirt back on and you should never wear a swimsuit ever again. And 25 years later, she sat in my office, still trying to deal with that and the pain, the pain of that. Someone didn't even know, didn't even know her. The tongue has the power of life and it has the power of death. We manipulate people. We make people feel guilty, right? If you really love me, you would never criticize me. Right, if you really loved me, you would sleep with me. Everybody else is. Right, we use our words like swords. And all of us are walking around wounded. All of us are walking around wounded. And so the next point of the message is not hear three principles to be nicer with your words. The next part of the message is Jesus. Because the only way that wounds that have gone that deep into our heart can be healed is not for you to say, I'm just going to believe stronger. It's for someone who can actually heal your heart, change your heart, and change your tongue and your lips. And there's only one man like that. Because, see, the only way for your lips to be transformed is for your heart to be transformed. Because healed hearts produce healed lips. All right, Proverbs 14 says it this way. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. It's the heart which instructs the mouth. It's the heart which dictates what you're going to say. And in order for us to speak words of life, we have to know the word of life. We have to know life itself. Ezekiel 36, 26, the prophet, he writes this, he says, of, of the coming Messiah, of the coming Jesus, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That, that one day, right, this is written, written hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, that one day the heart that we have will be changed and redeemed. It will be healed. The wounds will be done away with. The sword will be taken out and we will be anointed with a new tongue to speak and act and think differently. One day someone is coming who won't just kind of fix the outside, won't just give us ideas, won't just give us principles. There will be someone who will fix us from the inside out and change change us. And it won't just be a book, it'll be a person. And this is what John says about him. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, Jesus, all things are made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. Life. In him was life. 
And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the living word. And so we don't just have a book as important as this book is. We have a person. And so that when we actually read this book, we can be changed because it's alive and active. It's not just a history book, though there's history in it. It's not just a wisdom book, though there's wisdom in in it. It's a book from who we as Christians believe is the one true God the author of wisdom, and his son, Jesus Christ, is the one who can give us life. Jesus says in John 6, he says, it is the spirit who gives life. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all, which I think we all know. We can't change ourselves. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so in our desperate need to hear a better word over our life, we have the words of Jesus, right? The words of the Father that we are forgiven, that we are loved, that we are cherished, that we are chosen, that we have been rescued, we've been redeemed. All of these words are the truest words spoken of us, are the final word, and are the only words to build our life, worth, meaning, and purpose on. Right? This is the word, the person who speaks this to us. We know he means what he says. We know it. And so for our hearts to be healed, right, it's always repenting, confessing, turning, and trusting one who wants to heal them, to change them. And now the spirit now lives inside of us so that our tongues can actually speak differently, right? What happens at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit comes down, bam, people start talking in different languages. The tongue is touched and people begin to speak differently because they're now thinking differently. They've been immersed in a whole new reality. And so if the spirit of God, if the word of God is in us, we will actually talk differently because we have new values. We have a new heart. That's how it works, right? It's like when you learn a new language, which I've tried about six (laughs) and still not learning. But for a time, I did learn Spanish and I learned it fairly well from like six to, you know, ninth grade. I learned a little bit of it. And I just, you know, the best way to learn a language is to be immersed in it. You spend time in it, listening to it, thinking about it, um, right? Whether it's in a classroom or you're in a foreign country, when you're, when you're surrounded by it, you begin to speak differently. But here's how you know when you're truly immersed, when you truly have learned another language. When someone asks you a question and you begin to think in that language. You don't, for English speakers, you no longer think in English. You think in Chinese, you think in Mandarin, right? You think in Spanish, you think in German. That's how you know you've immersed yourself in the language. And when you and I begin to think differently, when our response is not spoken but thought, really, really, seriously, what would Jesus say? What has Jesus said? Would my, the meditations of my lips honor him? Because I'm so immersed in who he is, it's natural. It's second nature because I've been learning him and studying him. And the spirit, right, has been showing me who I am. What you immerse yourself in, what you surround yourself with will dictate how you speak which I, I think of almost every day now since my girls are um, starting to repeat things that we're saying. <sighs> yeah, you know, it's not really that funny, some words. <laughs> like, of all the words I said, you heard that one? And right, we have uh, twin girls who are um, now, how old are they? They're almost three. Can you believe it? I'm just kidding. They're 19 months old. <laughs> they're not, they're not three. <laughs> People are like, time does fly, but Wow. <laughs> Oh, it did work, babe. Thank you. It did work. 
test all my jokes with Emily because she's much funnier than me. Um, they're almost 19 months and they're running and walking and every day trying to hurt themselves and harm themselves and we're preventing that every day. And now they're starting to speak, right? And so we'll look at books, we'll look at things and, and be like, what is that, you know? Car, car, right? Truck, truck. You know, it's not quite the word, but we're getting closer and closer. And, and everything our girls are saying are because we're saying it and we're teaching that to them because they're surrounded, they're always around us. And so for good and bad, they're influenced by our language. They're learning to speak because of how we're speaking to them and, and how we're speaking to each other. And they're picking up things, right? They spend all their time with us. And so they're going to reflect us in how they speak and how they communicate. And it doesn't matter how old your kids get, that's always true. Right? And working with students, if I, if I talk to a student who uses a lot of foul language, right, who speaks certainly of their parents or other people, I always want to think, well, how do your parents speak to each other? Right? Or how does your dad speak to other people? How does he speak to women? Because I bet it influences how you speak. What you immerse yourself in, what you listen to, what you surround yourself with influences how you speak. We want the word to influence our words. Okay, we want the word to influence our words. So submerge yourself in God, and you will begin to speak and think differently, and your words will be life-giving and not wounding, at least more times than not, because we're still broken. And Jesus is the one who helps us. Okay, now we can get to some principles. <laughs> Right, but because of this being a church, we don't want to get to the principles without talking about the person of Jesus because he's the only one who can sustain it. He's the only one who can forgive us when we mess up. But a couple things I just want to point out. I could, I, I, at one point this week, I listed 14 principles. And I thought, nobody wants to hear me talk for two hours. No one. I don't care how kind you are to me. I know you don't, right? Things to do, people to do, lunch to get to, dinner to get to. So I picked out like four or five, four Something like that, who knows? We'll see how many we get through, <laughs> okay? And just some principles that, that are really helpful and have been very humbling for me. And so for all the things I say not to do, I've done them. And for all the things I say to do, I don't always do them. And so I'll just admit that in front of you. Just being a pastor doesn't make me perfect. It just makes me a lot more aware of how not perfect I am. Sometimes that's called being a Christian. <laughs> all right, number one. This is gonna sound like first grade. Um, but it's really important. Number one, what does a new tongue speak like? What does a new tongue speak like? Number one, it does not lie. Thank you, RD. What wisdom you have given to us. <laughs> Unbelievable insight. It does not lie. Great. All of us lie. Here's how I know. Check this box if you have read and agreed to the terms and conditions that are written above. <laughs> How many of you have read it? No one has. No one's read it. No, and we all check the box. Why? Because we don't want to read it. I mean, they could write in the middle of that, dinosaurs are coming back in 30 years, and no one would ever read it. You could just think it in the midst of all the code, all the stuff. No one ever reads it, but we check it. Right, now that's a funny example, but we all know that we lie. Now, here's the deal. Here's a proverb. It's a strong proverb, I know. Um, but it gets to it. It's Proverbs, uh, what is it? Proverbs 12, 22. Um, the Lord detests lying lips, but delights in those who are trustworthy. Lying is so serious because it breaks trust between people. My mom always said to me, RD, I don't care what you're about to tell me, just do not lie to me. And what would I do? <laughs> I would lie to her. 
I would, even in the strongest terms. I, you be, I, I, I'm not caring what you're about to say to me. It doesn't matter. I still love you and care for you. But just tell me the truth. Because what lying does is it separates us from God and from other people, and it brings division, and it brings disunity. And lying identifies us more with Satan than it does with the Savior, because the father of lies is not God Almighty, but Satan. That comes from Jesus' own mouth, the author of truth. Jesus says this in John 8, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Right? He's the one who's speaking all the false names over your life. He's the one who ultimately is the one saying, you need to go put your shirt on. No one should see you in a bathing suit. Right? That's what Satan does. He destroys you with lies, with his word, that then we value over what God says about us. And so when we lie to each other, we're speaking the native language of the enemy and not of new creations in the kingdom. What would the world look like if we never told another lie? but always spoke the truth in love. That's, I'm getting to that point, right? I, here's the thing about lying. It always reveals something deeper that's going on in our heart. So I was talking to a friend and I needed to confront him about something and his opinion mattered to me a lot. And so he asked for some honest feedback, but because his opinion mattered to me and I wanted him to like me so much, what do you think I said? Do you think I gave it to him? Or do you think I said, no, don't worry about it. You're awesome, right? Whatever it is, it, no, don't, I just forget it. It doesn't even matter. And I lied about something that was actually really going wrong in his life because I valued his opinion more than I valued the truth. I loved, and really in a sense, I worshipped something else besides the truth, and so I lied to cover it up. Right? I lied to my wife. <coughs> you know, I, I lied to her. It doesn't make me proud. It doesn't make me happy. And, and I haven't, like, hasn't been like... I was going to say that not even, you know, more than a white lie, but here's the deal. There are no white lies. You're either lying or you're telling the truth. Right? White lies are a slippery slope. And I lied to her. Why do I lie to her? We were just talking about this, which was a wonderful conversation <laughs> and a reminder of just my weaknesses and my weaknesses as a man, as a husband, as a, a father. And Emily probably called out. She was like, Artie, I think you lied to me because you don't want to go through the conflict of having to deal with the situation. And you rather just say, yeah, I have to get to work early when I really don't, because I don't want to deal with the conflict of me leaving early and the girls and not being a good day, like all the stuff, which Emily would never put on me, but I have these thoughts in my mind, so I lie. Not because I just feel like it, but because there's something else deeper that has my heart and my affection more, and it's avoiding. If you could uncover why you lie, I think you could have a lot of healing in your life. Satan says lie, and Jesus says tell the truth, and the truth will set you free. Don't lie. <laughs> Don't lie. But if you do, God forgives you, right? He forgives liars. But he still says, do not do it. It breaks everything down. Number two, don't gossip. <laughs> Don't, I'm so guilty of this. I'm so We are all guilty of this, right? Uh, this is a great proverb. Uh, proverb 18.8, 8, the words of gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Mmm. <laughs> Right, we all love gossip. We all love being in the know. We all love talking about other people instead of talking to them. It's easier. <laughs> Here's the deal. I won't spend as much time on this. Um, the problem with gossip is not that you can't sometimes talk about people, but it's when you talk about people without actually ever talking to them. 
And so you create a culture in your organization or in your church where there's all the, in the Hebrew, the word um, uh, gossip means whisper. It's idle talk. You're, all these whispering is happening behind people's back and we're not confronting people in a truthful way. Right, one of the commentaries I read was talking about how, how adultery is terrible and awful and bad. But as a pastor, he said, I've never seen a, a case of adultery destroy a whole church. But I have seen a case of gossip destroy a whole church. Right, because we begin to speak to each other and we begin to talk to people who agree with us. Hey, did you hear? Yeah, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he did this. I can't believe he did it either. And none of that ever is talked about to the person who actually said it. And so we create mistrust and pain. And what happens when you hear gossip that is about you finally come back to you? Does that feel good? Who likes being gossiped about? Nobody. And so as Christians, as a church especially, we don't want to create or foster a gossip culture. We want to foster a gospel culture where people can speak the truth to each other and confront each other in love. All right, the last thing, and I, I, to be honest, you know, uh, I've participated in gossip before because I didn't have the courage to go and just tell the truth. It's just easier just to gab or talk to somebody. It will destroy relationships. It will destroy your organization. It will just destroy you. Right, it's really, really serious. I mean, what if we could just, these are just the first two points. What if we could just commit to not lying and not gossiping? <laughs> right? If you're looking for like day-to-day -day application, you're welcome. <laughs> right? This, do not lie. Do not gossip. Right? Confront. Tell the truth. Do it in a loving way. Okay. Um, and last point on this. I just, this will be quick. Um, it's, it's not original to me. Um, nothing, nothing really is. Uh, what you permit, you promote. Right? In your home, in the church, in your organization, in your business, in your small group, in the people you play Ultimate Frisbee with or the people that you uh, go out with. Right? What you permit, you promote. If you permit lying, if you permit gossip, if you permit uh, vulgar language, if you permit um, racist or sexist or homophobic language, then you promote it. And as Christians, we cannot permit any of that. And so if you're just listening to it and saying, well, it's not, I know, I'm not saying it, I'm just listening to it, you are equally as guilty. When someone comes to you with a lie, or they come to you with gossip, or they come to you with something racist or sexist or homophobic, you just say, you know what, that's not how we speak. That's not how we talk about one another. That's not the words that we use to build up others, because that's death and that's bringing people down. And that will not be even a cent among that among the people of God. Right? That's a commitment. What you permit, you promote. Do not tolerate speaking that, that is just bringing death to people. Do not tolerate it. That could change a lot of things in your life. You don't have to be a jerk about it. Just say, you know, I'm not going to participate in that. I'm not going to do that because that's not becoming. Okay, number three, if you're numbering, I think it's three. Um, a new tongue speaks the truth in quotes, in love. <laughs> Right, in love. A truthful, Proverbs 14.25, Proverbs 14.25, a truthful witness saves lives, but a false witness is deceived. We do not speak the truth to other people just to score points or to tell them how bad they are, to tell them how right we are. We speak the truth to one another to save people, to help people for their good, for their betterment, that they may be changed. That's why we speak truth to people. One, because it's true. And secondly, we do it to help people, not to harm people. Because you can speak the truth to someone and hurt them and wound them, right? And Christians can be very good at that. Just because you speak the truth does not give you a license to be a jerk. 
right? And there are two things that come with speaking the truth. One is timing, two is tone. And we all know this, right? Not everything that has to be said has to be said right then. As I'm, I'm telling that to myself right now. <laughs> Not everything that has to be said has to be said right then. This is a great, a great verse here. Proverbs 15, 23. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply. How good is a word timely spoken? Timely spoken. Consider the timing. If someone's going through something very hard or very difficult, in the immediate aftermath of suffering, it may not be a good time to say God works all things together for good. I said that to people, and they've been like, thanks, R.D., I just went through hell. All I wanted you was just to listen, and you gave me some cheap Bible verse. Right? That's not love. That's just me pulling out the Christian card. I remember my church, my Baptist church in uh, Tennessee, um, our pastor and his wife, you know, talk, he was talking about the story that his, his wife had a miscarriage. And almost immediately after that, one of the elders of the church, you know, a well-meaning person, but this is what they said after having a miscarriage, which is just devastating. The person said to um, the pastor's wife, hey, better luck next time. Right? One, that's a terribly phrased thing to say. Even if, if you could reword it, you kind of understand. It's like, we hope that next time, you know, we're praying for you. This is, but yet it happened like immediately after they just said it. And so how do you think that was interpreted? How do you think that was heard? Know, know when to pause and shut up. <laughs> right, Proverbs go on to say, a person who talks too much is an idiot. It's a proverb, I'm not making it up, right? It may be a modern translation, but you get the point, right? Sometimes we just need to listen, two ears, one mouth. Secondly, tone. How you say is more important than what you say. Because if you're, if you're dropping all this truth and the person doesn't hear you because they think you're arrogant or you hate them, it doesn't matter what you say, Right? And sometimes as Christians, we can be guilty of this because we have the truth and everybody else doesn't have the truth. Right? And so you need to hear me in love. Wow, I feel the love. Thank you. Thank you for this love. Why are you so angry? <laughs> why, why are you so angry? Aren't, don't you love Jesus? Aren't you loved by Jesus? Yes, but you are just living a life that's not honoring to God. Thank you. Now I want to live a life that honors God. What a wonderful conversation we just had. Right? No one says that. And especially increasingly in our culture, no one is ever going to say that. And so tone matters. It doesn't mean you don't speak the truth. It doesn't mean you're not bold and confronting people, but you do it because you love them, not because you hate them, because you want to save their life, not to wound them. Don't use truth as a sword. Use truth as a Band-Aid. Use truth as medicine. Use truth as ointment to help people because everybody's walking around wounded. They don't need more guilt from Christians saying you're going to hell. They need love. They need love, right? That's what we're talking about here. Timing and tone are so, so important. Sometimes just stop before you speak and have your words be kind and gracious. Proverbs 15, 1 and 4 says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 16, 24 Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Colossians 4, 6, which Paul's writing here. He says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 
Would all of our conversations be seasoned with salt, filled with grace and kindness and love as we speak the truth? Not lying and not gossiping. Okay, final two, and then we're done. And these, these will be quicker. Um, number four, I couldn't think of a better way to, to phrase this. Um, uh, a new tongue, uh, how does it speak? Number four, it apologizes. Some of those powerful words you can never say or hear, I'm sorry. I love what Benjamin Franklin said. Uh, he said, never ruin an apology with an excuse. Never ruin an apology with an excuse, right? I can have it with my wife, you know, all the time because I mess up all, all the time. And I, I want to add, I'm sorry, but, but no, then, then it's not an apology. It's you trying to be right in the end. Now, saying I'm sorry doesn't heal everything. It doesn't change everything. It's not the only thing you have to say or the only thing you have to do. But we actually don't say that word very much because we just don't want to admit that we're ever wrong. We have anything to apologize for, right? There's some people I can name who think that. I don't have anything to apologize for. No, we do. And sometimes to people, you have to just say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And as a Christian, you have to say, I do forgive you. Doesn't mean you forget. Doesn't mean what happened to you didn't matter or didn't wound you or wasn't harmful or awful. But forgiveness has to be central. And just to say, I'm sorry. That's where reconciliation happens. It's where, it's where it happens. Proverbs 14, 9. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Always try and make amends. And part of that is just saying, I'm sorry, period. Forgive me. Forgive me. It apologizes. A new tongue apologizes. Lastly, a new tongue brings life where there's death. A new tongue, a redeemed tongue brings life. Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue, we'll come back to it. The tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. Every word that you speak is a choice. How many words do you speak a day? A lot. Some of you more than others, right? Some of you more than, but how many words do we speak? We do nothing. We speak more than we do anything else. 200, 400, 500, 1,000, 5,000 words a day. Every single one of those words is a choice. Pregnant within each one of those words can be life or death. Choose wisely every single word that you speak. Because every single word that you speak is a choice between bringing life or bringing death, between encouraging, uh, speaking truth to someone or discouraging them and lying to them, between gossiping about them or confronting them in love. Encouraging, I mean, you just go through the line. Every word is a choice. And choose wisely. See, God speaks life over everything he makes. Genesis 1.1, God speaks and there is heaven and earth. He doesn't use his hands. He speaks, and there is creation, there is life. Through the words of God, you and I are created, we are saved, we are reconciled, we are sealed, and we are brought all the way to the new heaven and the new earth. The word of God does that. He is in the life-speaking business. Through his words, we have power over death. We have power over all of our wounds. God speaks life. And as Christians, we have to be people who speak life in the darkness, as well. So if you're feeling beat up, <laughs> like I was this week, thinking, how can, how, how can I actually preach a message on words when I think of all the things, all the ways that I've used my words to be a sword towards others, including the people I love the most in the world, my parents and my wife? 
Well, if you're feeling beat up, you're feeling like a failure, you're feeling like, I just, God has a good word for you. He forgives you. He forgives you. If you're feeling overwhelmed, how can I apply? How can I do these things? I've got a good word for you. The spirit of God lives in you and can give you a new tongue and can actually help you speak and think differently. If you're feeling like, I can do this, let me, let me just give a word to you. You can't. It's not about willpower. It's about having the spirit's power. That's the only thing that will sustain a new vocabulary and a new language. It's, it's the only thing. It's the only, it's the only thing. See, when we look to Jesus Christ, the living word, you and I, we see what God has to say. Jesus Christ is what God has to say. We look, who is God? Look to Jesus, the one who never lies to us, who never gossips about us, who's never belittled us, who's never thought less of us, who's never told us anything but the truth about us in love to change us, to heal us, to give us hope, right? Jesus is always speaking the truth. He's always loving us and encouraging us. He's always, and so when we see him, we see the word. And if we ever doubt his word, all we have to do is look at the cross where actions spoke louder than words ever could, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you let that word, his word, the living word, go into your heart, you can be transformed, you can be changed. You, you can be. If it goes in you, it can be different. It's the final word. It's the only word we really need. Peter, one of the disciples, he writes this in 1 Peter. He says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. It's a great word. Let's put it into our hearts and have our words shaped by the living word. Our Father, maker of heaven and earth, we love you. We thank you for your good word. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you that you have written us a story of your reconciliation and redemption of all things. We thank you that for everyone in this room, wherever we are in our journey, you know us, you created us, and you're, you're speaking a better word over our life than the enemy than our parents, than our past, than our boss, than, than a former relationship we are in. All those things can be lies, but God, your word is the truth. And by the truth, we can be set free. I pray for every, everyone here, words that have wounded us, words that have defined us, don't have to wound us or define us anymore because there's a better word. There's a word that took on flesh and went up a hill to a cross. That's the only word we truly need. That's a word that can change our words and change our world. Father, we love you. Thanks for loving us first through your son, Jesus Christ, the living and abiding word. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen.